Tonight we have a huge honor. Uh, Rigby Zed, uh, I can say a lot of great things about him. He's an he's a author. He pastors a great church, New Life Church, with 18 campuses across the state of Colorado and one in Florida. Uh, Rick is an amazing communicator. He's one of the lead past or the founding members of the ARC, which is a church planning organization that's planted like 8 million churches in the last two years. A lot, a lot of churches all over the world. But let me tell you about Rick. Rick is sincere. And the greatest compliment that I can give a pastor is that he is sincerely in love with Jesus and he sincerely loves his church that he pastors. And that's the reason that when I invite someone to come speak, I'm not looking for names and fame and all those things. I'm looking for men who love Jesus with all their heart and love their neighbors as themselves. And Rick Bizet is a guy that is the same in private as you see him here on this stage. He's a man that I trust. And I want, and by the way, he, he's been a part of this church for a long time. This church had a great huge influence on his life and that's the reason his church is called New Life Church in Arkansas. They're a big church doing great work around the world. But I want you to welcome tonight a brother in the faith, a friend of ours, Pastor Rick Bizet. Come on, welcome him here tonight. This is awesome. All right, all right. Come on, praise his holy name. I know you love God. Turn to the person next to you and tell them they're lucky to be able to sit by you. <laughs> lucky. First of all, the worship tonight, the worship in this church, the leadership that is in this church, the integrity that leads this church, uh, the preaching skills that are here. When you guys get to heaven, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends. And, uh, and, and, I, and I know the hand of God is on this church. It's like the early church. The, the Bible says that the hand of God was with them, and many came to believe. So I did come from Arkansas, and I'm just asking you, please don't mess up this church. This is a good church, all right? And, uh, but, I, but I don't think that you can reach a city without reaching a household. And if there's a man in that household, you're not going to win that household without reaching the man. And a lot of you men, I just want to tell you, if you're married, you don't need a better wife. We just need to be more like Christ. And if you're single uh, at a place where you're on top of the mountain, don't forget about your Lord. I don't know how it's going for you, but we're going to have a lot of fun. How many people are ready to laugh? We're going to laugh a lot. But while you're laughing, I'm going to punch you, all right, with the word. Not, not because I'm mad at you. I'm not mad about anything. I just know that I like it when I'm growing, and I hate it when I'm not growing. I was thinking about this when we were worshiping the Lord. I had this picture. I'll, I'll just give it to you. How many of you when, you, when you get fuel in your car, you're so organized that when it gets to about a half a tank, you feel compelled to get fuel. You feel you got to get gas because you're that organized. Okay, we, we, we hate you. You're too systematic, too organized, and we don't want to be around you. Uh, but how many of you are more normal? It's like a quarter of a tank. You have to get fuel. You just fill it. But how many of you, you wait. Don't raise your hand now. I did not even got there. You wait until it's empty. Put your hand back down. I'm still not with you. You wait until it's empty, and then the light comes on, and you know how many miles past that? Plus two more. That's you. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen some of you on the side of the interstate. 
And it's at that moment that it seems like everybody else is going somewhere fast. Like, in fact, faster than they've ever gone. And you just feel stupid on the side of the road. And I, and I just want to tell you spiritually that this is the reason why you need to come together with other men like that retreat. I'm just going to tell you, it's, something happens when we get around one another. Some of you, you won't even worship the Lord around your spouse. But you get away from them because you're not fighting on the way to church. And you get, a, you get with a lot of men and you, you, it just helps you grow. And ladies grow when, with, when they're with one another. But, but, but let me be clear, the Spirit of God is not finished with you. And in fact, He's just getting started. Can I have an amen? amen? So the reason why I think the hand of God is on this church more than anything else is that this church will do anything to win a soul. And you will never understand the vision of this church until you bring someone here who is broken down in need of God. And you bring them here. And at some point in the service you're going to realize, okay, I understand what it's all about. When a church values a soul, the hand of God builds that church. And that's the reason why this church is currently growing faster than it's ever grown. It's reaching more people than it's ever reached. And I want to ask for you to give God all the glory because that is the kind of church that God wants to build. But when I moved to Arkansas, the people that we were reaching, they were never winning anyone to God. And uh, never bringing anyone to church. And, uh, and, and I knew that we were going to have to change that. And um, I was telling them a story one day about my daughter. My daughter. How many of you have raised a strong-willed child? You have. Well, I'm empty nest now. One day they move out. Praise God. And uh, no, I'm kidding. But my, my daughter, she was strong-willed, very, very, very aggressive. I could tell you stories that would have you shiver. And uh, when she was four years old, she saw a Hallmark movie of a of a 13-year-old girl running away from home, and she made a decision while she was watching it that she wanted to run away from home because it seemed fun. But she knew she couldn't wait till she was 13 because she was too ambitious, so she wanted to do it that day. But she knew that we'd pay attention to her during the daytime, so she knew she had to go at night. Then she didn't want to go alone, so she wanted to bring her 2-year-old brother with her. So she strategized. She packed a wagon with her dolls and his diapers and Skittles because you can't travel without candy. And, uh, and in the middle of the night, she woke up. It was not her alarm clock that woke her up. It was her will. Like, it's time. She just woke up like that and went in and got her little brother. And he said, I'm too little. Leave without me. And Michelle and I were sleeping. And my daughter took a wagon. And she left our house, the cul-de-sac, to the end of the street, took a right, another right, a left to a four-lane highway in the middle of the night in her nightie, pulling a wagon, and my wife and I were sleeping. A lady saw her and pulled over and said, uh, young lady, what are you doing? She said, I'm running away from home, and this is so much fun. She said, is something wrong at home? No, ma'am, but I just saw a movie. It just seemed fun. She said, young lady, get in the car. I'm going to take you home. She goes, no, man, I'm not allowed to ride in a car with strangers. <laughs> but you can walk in your nighty up and down four lane highway. Your family's whacked. That's what they So my daughter finally decided to come home, and this lady followed her. She was pulling the wagon all the way to our home. In the middle of the night, there was a knock on the door. And I said, Michelle, did you hear that? She goes, no, I didn't. Another knock. I said, Michelle, somebody's at the door. Go see who it is. But that didn't work. And I went down. And, uh, and I opened the door, and there was a lady who I didn't know, and my daughter. And this lady told me the story that I just told you. 
And I was so thankful. I started giving her stuff, like our cars. And, uh, and then I came in. I stared at Haley. And I still stare at her sometimes about that. But here's the point. If Haley wouldn't have come home, I'd still be looking for her. And in fact, every time the phone... I would still live in that cul-de-sac in Zachary, Louisiana. Every time the phone would ring, I would still have a landline. And every time the phone would ring, I would run to it to answer. I probably wouldn't say hello. I would say, Haley! And I would pick my friends based on who was helping me find my lost little girl. And thus you have the church. There's a lot of lost people out there that are hurting. And they're not moving well. Their tank is empty. And the Spirit of God is is wanting you to see the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. In Christianity, maybe you're going to heaven, but you'll never enjoy the trip until you're finding lost people and bringing them to the kingdom of God. Can I have an amen on that? But let me tell you why you're probably not doing it. And this is the topic of tonight. And it's one of the most reoccurring topics throughout the Bible. One of the most perpetual It's talked about a lot. Like my professor said, if I say it a lot in the class, it's probably going to be on the test. And maybe the reason why the Lord talked about this so many times, fear, maybe because he knew it was going to be on the test of, of your life. Now, I don't know why you're afraid, but the reason why I struggle with fear in a huge way is because I was raised in a church that was nothing like this church. I was, Brady was not my pastor growing up. My pastor in the church I grew up in was very legalistic. It was like a prerequisite to go to that church. You had to be mean and judgmental and hate everybody else at the church. The meanest person at the church was my Sunday school teacher. Her finger was 30 foot long. And she'd talk about hell every Sunday. Hell is hot. You're going to hell. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. And one day she said, don't you want to go to heaven? I said, not if you're going to be there. No. (laughs) Funny now, but when I was growing up, I never knew the Lord loved me. I never knew that he wanted me around. So still to this day, for some reason, because of that mindset, every time something comes my way that the Lord is challenging me to do, including loving my wife more, seeking him more or doing something that just seems huge it's always intimidating to me because I I don't feel like the Lord's going to back me I, I still struggle like does he even love me at times like is he mad at me I don't know what it is that's causing you to be in fear but I know one of the things is that when we make mistakes and We've all made mistakes. Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. You're not the only one. And In fact, how many of you in this room have ever lied before? Raise your hand. This is a church. You better raise your hand or God will kill you. <laughs> how many of you have ever procrastinated too much? The real procrastinators are raise their hand later. <laughs> how many have ever stole anything? Even a church ink pen, New Life Church? Come on. But when you make mistakes... Because of the way that I was raised, it just causes me to look, to look back. And all of you have issues. And if you don't think you have an issue, that is your issue. So I want to I speak to whatever causes fear in your life because there's no way 
that I, that I could speak on all the reasons why you may be loaded down with fear. But, but we're going to hit it straight up. I'm going to teach through the Word. We're going to go to the book of Luke. And, uh, but, 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 but in order to do that, I just want to encourage you that fear, it, it deceives. Like, like if you're blocked down with fear right now, you might not even realize that it's fear. And the Bible says the problem in the end times is that people are going to be deceived. The problem with being deceived is that you just don't know. The problem with being deceived is that you're deceived. When you're deceived, no one says, oh, I, I never saw it that way. That, that's what happens after you're no longer deceived. And fear, as far as I'm concerned, fear, it causes us to miss so many things. Uh, the beginning of last year, I was at a restaurant, and I love to wash my hands before I eat. And so we were ordering the food, and afterwards I went into the bathroom, and I was washing my hands. No one else was in there. And while I'm washing my hands, an older lady walked into the men's bathroom. And, uh, and I said, ma'am, I just took over. I said, ma'am, you're in the wrong bathroom. She goes, I'm sorry. And she crawfished. I'm from Louisiana. She just crawfished right back out. But then she came right back in. And she goes, no, you're in the wrong bathroom. And I was like, what? And I went out, and it said ladies. And it was like, how did I not see that? How, how do you not see that? This is what fear does. It's like, how, when it's gone, it's like, how did I not see it? It was right there in front of me. How did I not see it? So we're going to expose fear. And this is the verse that I want to lean on. Psalms 34.4. I prayed to the Lord. And he answered me, and he freed me from all my fears. Everybody say all. I'm going to read this again. And this, this, I'm giving you a little bit of a word, a prophetic word before the end of the night. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered, and he freed me from what? In the Hebrew, the word all, that literally means all. <laughs> all my fears. Did you think about some of the heroes of the faith just for a second? Jonah was asked to do something amazing, but it intimidated him, and he didn't like the idea. He was asked to go to the people of Nineveh, and he went to Tarshish the opposite way. Uh, fear will cause you to run the opposite way. Uh, what about Noah? Yes, he built an incredible boat, but he also end up, ended up being the father of all drunks. What about Abraham? God told him he was going to be the father of faith and also have a lot of kids. He started having a lot of fear that it wouldn't work out, so he went to plan B, which is a monumental mess we could talk about. Uh, but then, ultimately, God showed up, and he was 100 years old, and his wife was 100. And God showed up and said, go to babies or us. It's time to have kids. He was 100. That's nasty. Think about it. <laughs> but God still used him. What about Jacob? He was a liar. He lied to everybody. But then one day he got honest. In essence, the Lord said, tell me something about you that is weak. He said, all right. But I want you to bless me. He said, I'll do it, but you got to tell me. In essence, he asked him what his name was, but he was asking, what's your character trait? Like, and he looked at him and he says, I'm a deceiver. I've deceived everybody all of my life. It's who I am. And the Lord blessed him. He never walked the same again. And he named the place, Penel, where, where God met him face to face. You can see other people in the word like Gideon. Gideon, 
through a theophany, an angel showed up. This dude was in a hole in the ground because he was afraid of enemy nations. You don't thresh wheat in a hole in the ground. Threshing wheat means you throw it up in the air and the wind separates the wheat from the dirt. But he was in a hole in the ground because he was scared. But an angel looked into the hole in the ground and said, you're a mighty warrior. He's like, what? I'm the weakest in my family and my family's the weakest in the tribe. God calls things that are not as though they are. So I want to ask you, what is it that God would do inside of you if you were not afraid? Then we have Moses who, who carried down the Ten Commandments. But question, do you think he read them? Yes. Well, one of them said, thou shalt not murder. And he was a murderer. He killed an Egyptian with a knife. But he still carried them down. If it would have been me, I would have said, and here are the nine commandments. I know that's what I would have said. <laughs> what about Rahab? She was a prostitute and God used her. What about Samson? He liked prostitutes. Let's just keep moving through the word. David, he was a man after God's own heart, but he committed adultery and tried to cover it with murder until his bones were aching. And he called the Holy Spirit to fill him again. What about Elijah? In one chapter, he's calling down fire from heaven, but then fear hit him so hard, he's under a tree asking God to kill him. What about Isaiah? That dude preached naked for three years, and that is also nasty. <laughs> what about Lazarus? He was dead for three days. And God still used him, so what are you so afraid of? So in order to answer this, what I, what I want to do is, is I want to go to the book of Luke. I, I love the book of Luke, and we're, we're going to read out of this. I'm going to teach you throughout we're going to, almost in process, we're going to go through this, this whole teaching that Jesus gave on fear. Uh, but if I were to ask you, name the disciples. A lot of people, they don't understand this, this part of the word. Uh, that if I were to say, name the disciples, a lot of you would struggle. Even if you've been a believer for a long time, like, oh, 12 of them, who, who are they? And some of you go, oh, yeah, this is uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, you have already missed it by a few. Because Luke, for example, was not a disciple. Luke probably never saw one miracle that Jesus did because he probably got saved in Antioch or in Paul's missionary journeys. He was, he was, they believe, most believe, theologians believe that not only was he a doctor, which was written in the word, but that he was on a stipend with Paul. Like he was just a, he was a busy person, but he had a hunger for the word. So much so, a lot of people believe that Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but really it was Luke. Paul wrote the most books. Luke wrote the most words, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And interesting enough, when he started it out, he wrote both of those books talking to his friend named Theophilus, who was a leader. He just had a hunger for the word, and he wanted to see his friend grow. So he starts going out just investigating who, who was still around. He just wanted to know truth. He was compelled to know the truth. So he went out and he just started asking people. Like He went to Mary. He said, come on, Mary. Uh, I'm, I'm writing this. I, I want to get this right. Now, I'm a doctor. A doctor told you you were pregnant, right? Is that how it happened? And she goes, no, it wasn't a doctor. It was an angel. And she's describing it. And he's going, man, let me write this down. He was, he was saying, did Joseph, did he believe that, that, that you were pregnant and still a virgin and that God was the father? and God was the child that he believed was he saying hide your kids hide your what was he saying 
And he's just writing this down. Then, then, then Luke went around and he found the people that were there that day when Jesus fed 5,000. And he's just asking about it. Come on, man. Tell me the truth. How did Jesus feed these people? Did, did he cater in the food? No, no. It's just one kid with a Lunchable. <laughs> and he handed it to us. And we were afraid, but we did it anyway. And while we did it, just started multiplying. So then Luke goes over to the guys who were in the boat the day when Jesus walked on down. That day when Jesus walked on the water. And he's, come on, guys, Jesus could swim good like he was swimming out to you guys, right? No, bro, he was walking on the water. And he's writing it down. So what did y'all think? We were afraid, man. And Peter, somehow, Peter would always say the wrong things. But this day, he said, if it's you, Lord, I'll walk too. And he got out of the boat. And we, we were like, this is not going to work. <laughs> and he walked on the water, and we were jealous. And then he started sinking, and we started laughing. <laughs> and then Jesus grabbed a hold of him, and we were jealous again. Luke is pinning all this, okay? And then he gets to this passage of Scripture, and I want you all to get this, all right? Now, it's going to be talking. Jesus was very modern. Like, he talked about cutting-edge terms in his day. He talked about sheep and shepherds. And uh, he talked about figs and talked about things that they would see when they would walk along the road. If he was around now, he would interchange it. He would change that to what you're concerned about. This passage of scripture is about fear. He'd probably throw in some of the common fears that you have, like losing your job or being lonely. And so I, I know I'm going to read some passages of scriptures that, that maybe you can't relate to, or maybe you can, but I want you to put inside this teaching what's destroying you with fear. Let's read it in Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, by the way, 51% of the book of Luke is just red ink. It's just words of Jesus like this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or about your body or what you're going to wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or eat. They have no store when we're born, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Could y'all look here for a minute? A raven is nothing more than a rat with wings. And if God is going to take care of a rat with wings, he's got you, all right? Let's keep going. It said, yet yeah, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father, everybody say father, because that's where we're going. He knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father. Say father. father. He's been pleased to give you the kingdom. All right, I want to hold it right there. I've now raised four kids. And, uh, and, and there are times when you raise your kids where you're just going to give them like a tip of the day. It's not that important. It's, uh, it's more casual. Like, don't forget to close the door. It might be important to you as a father, but on the scale of life, it's not that important. Or don't forget your lunch. My kids would always leave shoes everywhere. Please bring home your shoes. 
It's just stuff to tell them. But there are other times where you need to tell them something that if they don't get it, it's going to destroy them. So when that happens and you have a four-year-old, you don't just throw it out like the casual, close the door. No, you're going to call them over close to you and you're going to grab by the face. And a four-year-old will not look at you. They'll look everywhere, but they will not look at you. Look at me. Do you want me to do to you what I did to your older brother? I don't have a brother. See, you want me to do that? <laughs> look at me. And then they finally look at you. And then you'll tell them what could save them. I don't know of any other way to say it, but I want you to picture like God is grabbing your face and trying to tell you, why are you so afraid? are you so afraid? Here's some things we can learn from this passage of scripture. First of all, worry. It places huge limits on your lives. Worry, it, it places huge limits on your lives. All right, let me tell you, this is where I'm going to get transparent. It's going to get a little awkward, all right? This is my story. When I was in Bible school, they taught us never to get close to people. Brady is very relational. The staff, I was just hanging out with some of the pastors, very transparent. But back in the day, 30 years ago, when I was in Bible school, they taught us that you can't have friends. They would say, touch not the anointed. Ministry's lonely. They, they taught us protocol to sit on chairs on the stage. You can't get close to people. If you do, you'll, you'll, you, they, they, they won't let you pastor them. So I remember in Bible school thinking, I'm not going to have any friends. I'm going to hate this. So I'd raise my hand. I can't have any friends. No, you can't have friends. And I remember thinking, I'm going to hate ministry. So I listened to them. And they said, if you're going through, I said, what if I'm going through something difficult? You just pray it through. It's just you and God. I said, all right. So my first year of marriage, I got married and I got into the ministry and I graduated from Bible school the same month. In fact, it'll be 30 years in just a few weeks. And so my first year of marriage was horrible. In my house, it was like wars and rumors of wars in the house. You know that scripture says, don't go to bed with anger in your heart? We were staying up for like 10, 12 days at a time. And I just remember thinking, but listen, when we went to a small group and we walked into a house, a Bible study, my wife and I might have been arguing on the way, but when we walked in, we looked good. I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling. And I had a fear, and there's the word, that if anybody knew, they wouldn't pray with me, they would disrespect me, and I couldn't grow. I also had a fear that, of apologizing. I never once, and I'm not trying to slam my family, but in my family bloodline, I can't remember any of them ever saying I was wrong. Still to this day, to admit that I'm wrong about something can be very difficult for me to do. Especially in the first year of marriage. So my pastor asked me, Michelle and I, this first year, just arguing all the time. And he asked me, my pastor, Larry Stockstill, uh, he asked me if I would preach on the weekend. I'd never preached to more than 300 people. And I said, yes, sir. And I went into my room and I started praying and Lord, give me a sermon, give me a sermon. And I walked through the living room, and my wife said something that made me mad, and I yelled at her in my living room. I said, Michelle, shut up. 
you make me sick. I'm a man of God and I'm trying to put together a sermon. And I saw my wife break. And I went to get something out of the kitchen and came back through and she was crying. And when I went in my office, guys, I can remember this like it was, it just seemed extremely real to me. And I went in my office and I just got on my knees and I said, Lord, something's wrong with me. I love that woman and I don't know what's wrong with me. So I asked him to forgive me and he did. But then I could sense the Holy Spirit saying, now tell your wife you're sorry and ask her to forgive you. I said, Lord, I'm not ready for that. So I walked in and she was crying. I'll never forget her bottom lip quivering like that. And I know I did it. She's a precious lady. So I went over to her. I didn't even know how to apologize. I was like, you okay? And then I got closer to her and I apologized. She looked up at me. She's smart. Beautiful, smart. She's an amazing woman. She looked up at me and she goes, listen to me. She said, I'm going to stay with you for the rest of our lives. But I don't know who you are. I just got to know who you are. Are you being real? When we were dating, when we were engaged and you were writing poems to me, were you being real then? Like when you open up the Bible and you preach, are you being real then? When we walk into a Bible study and you look at me like, come on, we got to do this. Are you being real then? Are you, but are you being real when you yell at me in the house and tell me you don't want to be married to me anymore? She said, I'm with you for the rest of my life, but I need to know who you are. So, babe, I don't know. And I prayed with her and I went back into my office and this is where the story gets more intense and weird. But when I went back into my office, I said, Lord, thank you for that. And he said, I forgive you. But when you preach this weekend at Bethany, I want you to tell the entire church how you talk to her in the living room. And I said, God, I can't do that. God, they taught us in Bible school, you never do that. God, you need to go to Bible school. They'll clear that up. In the first semester, they cover all that material. So I decided not to do it. I mean, no, that didn't go well. In fact, the sermon was so bad, I asked everybody, hey, is this going all right? And they all simultaneously said no. So I closed my Bible, and I looked at them, and I said, let me tell you why it's not going well told him the story I just told you and then I looked at Michelle in the front row and I said babe if you want to know who I am and when I'm real it's right now and for the first time in my life I was authentic I thought it was over for me before I said it but after I said it I didn't even care I knew God was saying that's my boy just my boy. And whatever it is that you're afraid of, it's not worth being in the arms of God. So I'm thinking about blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus in the scripture, there's two things about that that makes clear. Number one, his name was Bartimaeus. And number two, he's blind. How many of you are tracking with me so far? <laughs> this guy heard Jesus was coming. He starts yelling, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, the crowd, by the way, were telling him to be quiet. Literally in the Greek saying, they were saying, shut up, we're tired of you yelling. And the Bible says he yelled all the more. 
This reminds me of Brady. Like if I told Brady, Brady, I don't want to hear about the vision anymore. I'm sick and tired of hearing about Colorado Springs. And he would say, well, let me just tell you one more time because he's ate up with it. But what are you dreaming about? Most of the time where you are most afraid is where you're most anointed. Don't think for a second that Brady wasn't afraid to come here. But look at the anointing on his life. What are you afraid of? Jesus walks over to blind Bartimaeus and he said something that's so common uh, in scripture that we, we just look right over it. He looked right at blind Bartimaeus and he said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, everybody around had to be thinking, Jesus don't know he's blind. <laughs> Jesus is tired. Y'all feed Jesus. He don't even know what's going on. But Jesus knew. Then why would Jesus ask a blind man what he wants? Because he loves to hear what you're dreaming about. And some of you haven't articulated a dream to God in a long time. And by the Spirit of God, it's worth it if you're not afraid anymore. Some of you, God is going to give you a job, but you're too afraid to try. Some of you, you had a friend that used to walk by your side in this church and they slipped away and you guys had an argument and you could restore the relationship, but you're afraid to make the call because what if you get rejected? Some of you have had this incredible idea from heaven, but you're too afraid to try. Do you know how many young people choose a major in college that they hate because the one they're called to do, they're too afraid to do? So what are you so afraid of? To sort of stretch your thinking, I just want to take you forward for a second. How many of you in this room, you want to go to heaven someday? Would you raise your hand? Even if you're Presbyterian, you want to raise your hand on this one. <laughs> Listen, when you get to heaven, there's zero faith in heaven. This is the way we live now. We have to believe by faith. There, we'll see it all. And I've often thought of the questions that I have when I get to heaven. There's so many questions because I've seen pain in people's lives. But I believe just being in the presence of God will answer all of my questions. But when we see the enormity of God, and the power of his name, the fire in his eyes, the love when he looks in your direction, it's going to freak you out. But there's one incredibly weird verse in the Bible that sounds so positive but it throws a question at me that I think it's worth looking at. It says in heaven that he's going to wipe away every tear. That's positive, right? But what tear is going to be in heaven? That needs to be wiped. Well, I'm no theologian, so I'm not going to answer that. I've tried to figure it out, and I still don't know. So I'm going to give one possibility. Maybe when you see how big God is, your God, the God you currently have, maybe when you're there, it's like, what? Maybe you'll look back to now and think, why was I so afraid? If I would have known he was that big, I would have never been afraid. If I would have known he was that big, I would have gone... Why was I ball and chain? Even at the church, when the church was trying to move forward, I was always hesitant. I was the last one to show up. I was the last one. It was the bride of Christ. How did I not love the bride of Christ? Like if you come to my house and you say, Rick, I love you, but I hate your wife, I'm going to pepper spray your face off. 
because I want you to love my bride. When you see God, it's going to be, why was I so afraid? This reminds me of the disciples. One day, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. One day, he looked at the disciples. He goes, hey, brothers, y'all get in a boat. We're going to go to the other side. Anytime you start following the Lord, you're going to forget where he said you're going. They got into the boat, and the storm picked up. And they knew a lot about storms. Again, where you're most called is where you're going to be most afraid. Where you're most aware is where you're most afraid. The storm started brewing. Jesus was sleeping. And they were literally freaking out. And the scripture says that one of them, and I want you all to catch this, because this is what fear does. And some of you are there right now. In fact, this part of the whole talk, if you could just be set free from this mindset, you would never be the same again. Jesus is sleeping, one of the disciples, loaded with fear, because he knew what a storm could do. He was a fisherman. And he went over and he shook Jesus. He said, Jesus, wake up. We're going to drown. And the next phrase is what the way that we live when we live around fear. Next phrase. Don't you care? You don't care, do you? This is what happens when you live around fear. Ultimately, it's like Jesus is just sleeping. He doesn't even care what's going on around my life. It's hard to serve God when you think he doesn't care. It's hard to open up your word when you think he doesn't care. Jesus stood up and he, he rebuked the winds and the waves. If he would have just rebuked the winds, the waves would have continued for a while and then subsided slowly. But he rebuked both immediately. It went from intense 100 decibels or whatever down to total silence. And then he looks at them and he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? This is the same spirit that's looking at you right now saying, come on, I've got you. One day Jesus went over the house of Martha and Mary and she was worried, worried, afraid. All distractions, trying to get everything done. Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Finally, Martha, through so much fear, came out and said the same thing that disciple said. She looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, my sister's not helping me. Don't you care? Fear will tell you that your God doesn't care. Number two. By the way, some of you say, I have 20 years experience serving God. But really because of fear, it's like one year just repeated 20 times. Like we haven't grown. We're not moving forward. And then number two, seek first the kingdom of God. I don't want to talk about this one much. I'm just going to go through this and then close out. In front of all of us, we have the world and we have Christ. The world... Most of you, the reason why you have secrets in your life, let's say you're addicted to porn. Let's say you're in adultery right now, or you're stealing, embezzling money at work, or most of it comes from fear, the fear of missing out. Like this is how you got there. I can't, I gotta, gotta. So in front of us, we have two choices: the kingdom of God and then the world. The world, the marketing strategy for the world, it's incredibly intense. So much is spent to try to get us. The scripture says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Like he's the one that will write to you and finish with his start. But the world is just so distracting. Like we take our eyes off him. He becomes peripheral. 
instead of the world. And the reason why we choose the world is because we're afraid we're going to miss out. In all of my days, I've never seen anybody, and the scripture I read earlier says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all things will be added unto you over here. I've never in all my days seen somebody seek after God with all of their heart and regret it. I've never seen anybody at the end of their life saying, Man, I've been serving God all my life. I just regret. I wish I'd have killed more people. I lived in Colorado. I didn't even smoke pot. I've never seen it. But I've seen people on this road, and some of you are right here. And let me just give you a little tip. Jesus is really good at forgiving people. Like it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was his desire to forgive. In fact, he stopped dying just for a second to forgive one more thief. And then continued to die so he could forgive him. So he's great at it. I don't care where you are or what you've done. The reason why a lot of people stay on that road for a lot longer than they intended to stay is because they're afraid that they can't be forgiven and live over here. Third point, last thing I want to talk about. Fear cannot coexist when God is seen as a loving father. Everybody say father one more time. Father, I'm almost done. Raise your hand if you remember the story of the prodigal son. Okay, I'm, so I'm not going to tell it, but I'm going to just remind you. He took his stuff, he left, he started losing out. Bad decisions. But he was out there so long, this is huge, he was in the world so long that he forgot how much the father wanted him home. Even if you read through it, you'll even see he started saying stuff like this. Like if I could just be on his property, like a servant, I just... But he's not going to let me go home. I've blown it. I'm probably an embarrassment to him. He doesn't say that specifically, but you, you can see he's processing like, maybe if I, I got to try, I got to try, because I, I got to go to, I want to be by the Father, but he's going to be mad. I got to try. So he's going home, and the scripture does say this. When he was on the way home, the Bible says the Father saw him from a long ways off and started running at him. Listen to me. I'm completely convinced that he thought the father was chasing him down to either kill him or kick him off the property. Because this is what we all think when we're bound by fear. But the father just put his arms around. So he started trying to go to speak. And the father said, look, all I know is my son was lost and now he's home. I got some filet mignon. It is party time. Okay? To give you a picture of this, my son, when he was four years old, his name is Hunter. And uh, Hunter's just a happy-go-lucky kid. When he was four years old, a lady asked him to be in his wedding. I was preaching that wedding. But she wanted him not to be the ring bearer. But she wanted him to carry in my Bible. She said she had seen this done. And wanted him to come in, stand beside me, and hand me my Bible. And then that was the, that was the ceremony other than the, the other elements. So we went through rehearsal on Friday night, and my son came right in. He walked, he stood right by me, handed me a Bible. I was like, that's my boy. He aced it. But that was Friday night at rehearsal. <laughs> okay. Saturday when we got up, and don't forget, I'm talking about fear. Saturday when we got up, my son was acting different. And he's my happy kid. 
When's the last time you've had the joy of the Holy Spirit? When's the last time you laughed from your gut? What happened to it? And my son, I just I couldn't get him to lighten up. I was telling him just the stuff that he would always laugh. He would, he was just bound, and I didn't get it. So I finally said, Hunter, are you okay? No, Dad, I'm not okay. In his four-year-old voice, I don't remember how that goes. But he said, Dad, no, I'm not okay. I can't remember what to do, Dad. I gotta walk in. I can't remember how fast. I don't remember what to do, where to stand, how to do it. Dad, I'm gonna mess up the whole wedding. And I said, son, no, you're not. Help me, Dad. I said, all right, son. We're going to get this down to two things. You're going to be behind the doors, and they're going to open them. And when they open the doors, I'm going to be up front. Just do two things, son. You keep your eyes on me, and you carry the Bible. <laughs> okay, Dad. That's it. You just keep your eyes on me, like lock in. I'll tell you what's going on. And you carry that Bible. Hold it tight. Okay, Dad, I'll do it. What are the two things again? <laughs> you just keep your eyes on me. And you carry that Bible. All right, Dad, remind me again in a minute. And I told him all day long. Wedding time. I'm up front. Now, I'm afraid. Because I don't even know if my son is still on the property. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm praying, Lord. They open the door. And when they did, I'll never forget my son. He was like doing two things. He was staring at me with all his heart. Because I told him, stare, and he's staring. <laughs> and he's rigid, and he's scared to death. And I looked down at his hands, and he's holding it. so tight. And I, I said, son, you can, you can walk now. You know, kind of like. So he starts walking like Frankenstein, and he's walking, and he gets more confidence. I'm like, son, yeah, that's great. I, was, I told him earlier the different things I would do to let him know he's doing. And he gets confident, and he got more relaxed. About halfway, he's like looking at people like, what's up? <laughs> he was waving at people. He stood up front, and he, he stood there cocky-like, and he handed me the Bible. And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> Afterwards, I said, son, I He's really proud of you. Yeah, he's that. But when I was going to sleep that night, it hit me. That's what his dad needs to do, me and you. When you're afraid of a door that is closed or a door that is opening, you just keep your eyes on the Father and you carry the word. Come on, man, when you get back home, just keep your eyes on the Father. Carry the word. I can't remember all these things. You just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the word. He's a good God. And he came to set the captives free. And when they're set free, they're free indeed. For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. Come on. The Spirit of God is here right now. I want you to take your hands. My pastor taught me that when you pray, you reach up to the Lord like you're praying for the glory of God to be poured into you. That's good advice. Let's do it now. Reach up to the Lord. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us.
or those that are bound by fear. Maybe words that were shared to them. Maybe people who didn't believe in them. Maybe because of strongholds. Possibly because of a broken relationship. Might be because of church along the journey. Someone at that small group or someone who said they would didn't. It could just be because they've always been bound by fear. But we ask for all of you to be healed and set free in Jesus' name. This is not where the Lord would want you to set up your camp. And just like Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven and then lost it, he ended up going on top of the mountain and he reconnected with God. So reach up to the Lord with all your heart and say this with me. Say, Spirit of God, I'm hungry for you. I don't want to be afraid. I want to yield to you. Whatever you say is what I want. From this day on, I'm serving you and you alone. Teach me to be bold, not afraid. I want to know my purpose, and I'm not going to be afraid of it. That idea, I'm not afraid of it. That phone call, I'm not afraid of it. Because you're with me. You're in the boat, and you do care. You're at home waiting on me. And you want to embrace me. So I give it to you. My Father, God, in Jesus' name. Thanks a lot, New Life Church. God bless you all. Appreciate it.